0: Hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, the one who does the thing at the end of an extravaganza with me. No, not that thing. I'm talking about the wrap-up. Brian with a... Uh, wait a minute. What is it? Brian with a Y. How you doing, Brian?
1: <laughs> I am good, David. I am good. However, uh, that I think I prefer being called the finale guy. Okay. Certainly not the gar- Certainly not the garbage man picking up at the end, right? That's not quite
0: as charming. <laughs> what you don't you don't like to be the guy that does the thing with me at the
1: end? Well, um, I mean, <laughs> when you put it that way, how could I resist?
0: <laughs> I have many ways uh, you can resist, and please do. Um, so, so with that, uh, I am going to turn on my chat window. Uh, we have lurkers. Uh, we have. Um, We have lurkers, they are the usual suspects. Uh, If I turned their microphones on uh, audience, you would hear the voices of people that you usually hear and uh, like to curse, but you will not hear them much maybe uh today brian and i are going to uh go over this uh event brian if you would please open up your chat window so that you can read the chats because even though i can kind of read the chats i don't i don't keep up with chats very well and they might actually say something worthwhile so i'm going to leave it up to you uh to see if they say something worthwhile that we need to pull into the show
1: i can do i can do that and, and already in there there's some cheeky british humor and a couple of fart jokes, I think. I'm not sure who did those, but that's okay. What's there right and now I'm questioning
0: your judgment about what is worthwhile.
1: Um, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that said, uh, who knows? That, that may be the most insightful thing on the show. We're, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. We've done uh, what four shows. There was uh, Russell and I, uh, three shows, I guess. Russell and I, um, uh, the uh, usual suspect of skeptics. Uh, a Christian round table, uh, which was uh, interesting, and uh, this one. We had at least one other planned that uh, didn't come across, but I think that we did, Uh, I think think we did okay. So just as a broad overview of uh, the series of shows itself, there are some other people that I would have liked to have heard from because they have some different views. I know from the people on the panel, I would have loved to have heard from uh, Chris Date. Uh, I would have uh, loved to pull in Randall Rouser on this. I didn't realize it at the time, but Lydia McGrew has done a lot of her work in epistemology. I was on a podcast with her yesterday and I would have definitely tried to pull her into this. Uh, But at the end of the day, life got a little bit busy for me. I didn't want to take it another uh, round because putting these things together are a lot of work, <laughs> and so that said, uh, with the shows that we had, I still think that um, the series was successful in getting out a lot of different views and giving giving the audience something to think about. What do you think about the the series overall, Brian?
1: Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was excellent. I thought it was um, comprehensive. I think we got a lot of different uh, angles uh, from uh, people on different sides of the aisle. Uh, with regard to the God question. um, I thought it was um, handled at a level that was uh, appropriate. You know, the idea being is let's talk about epistemology uh, in general before we get into too many brass tacks particulars. Um, Given that, I was actually surprised at how very little uh, I thought there was a lot of um, disparate views. I, I didn't get a lot of Uh, one person thought epistemology was really uh, strongly one way and someone thought it was really strongly the other way. I thought the Christians were pretty um, positive in reacting to the skeptic panel and vice versa. So uh, I'm curious whether that means that the differences between believers and non-believers exists on a different plane or at a different level of the discussion, but uh, I'm curious to kick this around with you a little more.
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah. So I uh, look there, I'm glad the series was done. I enjoyed doing the series. I enjoyed listening to the series. Uh, but I, I got some complaints. <laughs> I, got, I got a few feels. Uh, we'll unravel them in the uh, discussion. We each have uh, some notes uh, that, uh, that we took. Uh, your notes do not have to be in any particular order. Uh, I, I don't care about chronology. I, I'm most interested in what stood out to you the most. And so I'm just going to ask you to look on your note page and rather than look at it from uh first show to last show, tell me what uh what stood out to you the most that needs commenting on. If we if we only talked about one topic, what, what, what you got?
1: So if if I had to pick just one, I would want to talk about how I think the role that uh Christians versus skeptics. Uh, a tribute to knowledge is really a, a central point here. I, I think I think that knowledge isn't the silver bullet that the Christian thinks it is, uh, and I think I think that's why there's a lot of disagreement and and, and cross talking. Uh, from my perspective, you know, I'm not sure we can ever, as flawed human beings, get to 100% knowledge about anything. And there are things that I would say I know very very strongly. But I would also acknowledge that there are, at the margins, slivers of uh, doubt that would need to be left open. I would never want to say that I was 100% on anything, because who knows what the future holds? Who knows what new evidence would come to my my forefront? Uh, Whereas I think from the Christian perspective, they think they have knowledge because it's special coming from the omnipotent, omniscient, perfect creator of the universe. So they're trying to find a silver bullet. And then once they have it, they're happy to take that silver bullet, put it in their gun and shoot it at every target that's coming across their sights. So I, I think the role of knowledge and what it is and how strongly you want to give into it, uh, I think, is one of the big uh, uh, sticking points between the two camps.
0: Yeah. So uh, that actually uh, deserves a little bit um, more attention, I think. Uh, I So let me, let me uh, punt back to definitions for a moment. I define truth as reality. I I, I use reality and truth synonymously. Uh, Nature and truth as synonymous. Uh, The universe and truth as synonymous. The truth is simply the thing that is. And then our knowledge is the degree to which propositions we hold in our head match the thing. Uh, So that's Uh, So truth is how reality is. Knowledge is our understanding of how reality is. Uh, And the ideal is to get as close of a match to your mental model of reality and reality itself as you can. I fully accept the fact that we can never get all the way there. I don't believe for a moment, and by the way, that may be a faith statement because who knows, maybe we can one day, but I don't personally believe that we can get all the way there. Therefore, we can never have perfect knowledge because perfect knowledge would be uh, having a one-to-one mental model of all of reality. And I just, I don't think that kind of knowledge is available to us. So when I talk about epistemology, I'm not even that concerned over whether your conclusions are correct, Uh, okay? At at this level, I'm not concerned about that. There are other other levels, other conversations where it would matter to me. But at this level, that's not my concern. My concern is how you reach your conclusions because the, the role that epistemology plays in all this is the better method you use that comes to knowledge, that brings you to knowledge, the the understanding of what reality is, the better your method, the better match your mental model will be of reality. So if you use a good method of epistemology, you should have a pretty good map of reality. Notice I'm, I'm staying well away from perfection here. I'm just settling for good. A good method should give you a pretty good map. And a bad method gives you a bad map, you know, and, it, and so you want to you have the best methodology as you can. Um, I think the Christians maybe want more than that. They, they believe that there are some absolute uh, things that we can know that I think that uh, many skeptics would say, no, I don't, I don't think that we can know that absolutely. In fact, I think many skeptics will say we can't know anything, absolutely. Uh, Some even in this chat room uh, might say we can't even know that we exist, Uh, 100%. Um, So uh, I I think for me, I'm happy with a good methodology that leads us to a good map of reality. And I think Christians, at least in some realms, won't you say, no, we can do better. And maybe we can, maybe we can't, but they haven't shown me how. And and in order in order for them to make their case, they're going to have to give uh, to lay out an epistemological method um, that convinces me that they're they're going about it better than I am.
1: Right, I I would agree with with all of that. Uh, you know, Darren in the chat asks, you know, do I not know a hundred percent that I exist? And practically speaking, of course I do but that's practically speaking. On a higher plane philosophical level, per, level, perhaps I cannot. But that, that level is of no use and interest to me when I decide whether or not to leave my house for the day or whether or not I decide to put something in my mouth for food uh, or for other purposes, and we'll leave it to the imagination of the listener as to what that might be. But, but that's, that's the whole idea, as you're saying, methodology, the pragmatic, the day-to-day. What I'm trying to do is get through every day without dying and to have maximally good experience and minimize bad experiences. So what mom am trying to do with acquiring knowledge is interact successfully with my world, taking in the world, processing it, modeling it in a way that I can move forward and make good decisions and have good outcomes. So yeah, to me, it's a lot more of a brass tacks day-to-day pragmatic exercise rather than a philosophical one. And I can hear, you know, the critics, you know, saying that it's poo-pooing philosophy and what have you. And, and I certainly don't. I you mean, know, I spent a lot of time over the years and in, in advance of this show reading the philosophy, reading the support. And I think that is absolutely crucial to understanding why you do the things you do. But, but at, at some point, the philosophical textbook gets left at home. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm thinking about internalism versus externalism when I'm at the grocery store trying to decide what there is going to uh, serve my my family's needs best. So, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of a, a different, you know, there, there are places for the intellectual uh, uh, exercises and thought games. And then there's the what are you doing to navigate through the world? And I, and I just think there are some uh, many different priorities uh, that depend on what uh, what part of the exercise you're doing.
0: So this might be a very boring show for the listeners because we, we just agree on that. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I acknowledge that epistemology is by its very nature, a philosophical conversation. Uh, it, is, it is an area of uh, philosophy. But that said, it's, it's meaningless to me as philosophy uh, because I don't live my life in philosophy. I live my life in a very binary way. I do this or I don't do this. Uh, And so things have to be practical. Philosophy has to be broken down to the practical level. And if it can't be, then I don't care. Um, As far as the, um, you know, the troublemaker in the chat room uh, banging on about existence, uh, he shall shall remain nameless, Darren. Um, I got to tell you, I don't, that's one of those questions where it seems like that would be Something I would ultimately be concerned about. And you've actually reached a point where I don't care. <laughs> I don't, how do, why should I care if I exist or not? Uh, because I have the perception of existing. That's all that matters to me. So if you convinced me that I am a part of a simulation, great. I'm a part of a simulation that still has to eat. You know, I still I still have to love and be loved and have sex and broccoli and, um, you know, maybe all at the same time. I don't know. I'm
1: wait. Now, wait wait, wait a minute, David. You didn't just claim that you're going to have sex with broccoli because that would require some epistemology Uh, to get get me to where
0: I want to agree with that. You know, you do you. uh, I'll do broccoli. You know, we're all we can. We can live in the same world.
1: I'm I'm a cauliflower man myself. So you know, <laughs> we, say, won't be comp- we won't be competing at the fruit stand for what the, we're doing.
0: the broccoli is is consenting. That's that's all you need to know. Um, <laughs> so so the thing is it it just it doesn't matter to me if you could convince me that I didn't exist. Uh, because on a practical level, I still have to do all the same things that I do if I do exist, right? So um, philosophically, might be an interesting game to play, but practically speaking, uh, that doesn't help me figure out what I'm going to watch on Netflix tonight. So um,
1: yeah, it, exact, ex- exactly. Exactly. If I, if I could just make another example, you know, the neighbor three doors down from my house is going to choose a certain color shirt to wear tomorrow when he leaves the house. Whether that color is red, black, blue, or, you know, multicolored or anything, that fact of the world is irrelevant to me with regards to what I'm going to do with my day. So, you know, you could put the, do I exist or not question as you're talking about, you know, am I a brain in the vat or not? That is also irrelevant to the, what are you going to do with the next decision that you make in your day? So, you know, what, it doesn't mean it's not interesting and worth discussing and kicking around, but it's at a different level and it's of no importance to certain uh, other issues of epistemology that are really important.
0: Yeah. Well, and as one very, uh, intelligent uh person said not all that long ago i believe his name was darren uh he said uh, we in fact are brains in a vat it's just that the vat is called a skull
1: um so that was that was well well turned a phrase darren good job (laughs) so um yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump to
0: mine which also happens to be my number one i i wrote down my notes in um Emotional order, rather than uh, chronological order, is is what what pissed me off the most. And so, and kinda... what
1: epistemology you off the most? Yeah, that's what I. That's no, that's actually good. I can't claim that. Um, but by the by the way, um, you know, we're we're supposed to be minimizing our emotions with epistemology. So right there, you're already at
0: odds with the the oh yeah no I'm screwed I um I acknowledge that but that's (laughs) this is often how I write my show notes because I'm I'm thinking to myself what happens if the show goes along we have to cut it short and we don't get things in well I want to get the things in that I care about (laughs) so I am not saving those to last I'm putting those right up front um the uh Christian offered no answers this um I think is probably the biggest thing from this series of shows because the show that Russell and I did was an invitation, uh, to Christian, by the way, at the time we did not know that there was going to be an atheist show and a Christian show. That was not how this thing was drawn up on paper. In fact, we didn't know that was going to happen until the moment we went on the mic and one of our guests didn't show up. Uh, and, so we had to do something else really fast. Uh, so the atheist show came together in about 10 minutes. Uh, so I just want to put that out there. Uh, but we had, we had invited, um, we, ca- we kind of set out uh, some things that we wanted to talk about and, and sketched out some big um, issues uh, with a epistemology. And one of the things we did, one of the things I did certainly was invite the Christian uh, to show their work so that we as non-Christians can understand how you come to your conclusions. Because I think it's most unhelpful. And one of the reasons I want to do the show is because it's most unhelpful uh, for us to just be sitting across uh, this imaginary line, thinking that the other is out of their mind. And if we understand how the other came to the conclusions that they came to, then we wouldn't think that they were out of their mind. Uh, you know, we would, we would have a target to, to attack on both sides and discuss and in, in, in work with because we can say, oh, okay, I see, I see how you came up with that. I think that might be the problem, let's talk about that. Uh, if we don't know how the other is coming up with their conclusions, we can't begin to have a conversation, the conversation is already off the rails, and I, I think it just becomes impossible. And so, when we did do a skeptic show, like I said, put together in about ten minutes, the Christians, on the other hand, had all week to do it <laughs> um, because once we decided, well, that's what we're going to have to do, then uh, you know we informed the Christians that they could do it. So we tried to do something that I that I hold very dear, which is to show our work. And I insisted that the panelists show their work. And I did that, we did the last half of the show. Uh, Each person had to bring forth uh, an item of discussion, a proposition uh, and show how they came to the conclusions they came to. Once again, I'm I'm not even interested whether the answers were right or wrong. I just wanna see how you came to the conclusion. Furthermore, I tried to be as fair as possible by criticizing um as as strongly as possible, places where I thought there were holes uh, in the arguments or where they needed to be strengthened or where uh, where they were uh, a little bit off uh, because I wanted I wanted a real good view at how we reason, and I wanted the Christian to have a, a real good view of how we reason. When it came time for the Christian show, they they gave us nothing. They gave us nothing to work with. The only thing they did was, you know offer some weak criticisms of how we came to conclusions but they but it, whether we had good methodology or not we had methodology and we showed it to them and you know in a game of uh you know I'll sh- I'll show you mine if you show me
1: yours uh you actually have to show me yours right <laughs> and they didn't <laughs> i never played i never play that game unless they show me there <laughs> well, here here again i think we may have gotten slightly off topic um but <laughs>
0: I, i'm feeling a little randy today i'm not
1: sure what's going on i'm, I'm gonna try to put that back in my pocket yeah
0: never mind your pocket put that put that cauliflower down man uh
1: we're, we're
0: doing a show um so where was i um yeah so this this bothered me a bit, quite frankly, uh, that Christians uh, eschewed every opportunity they had to show ways that they come up with conclusions. And yeah, they can say, well, we use the same tools as you do for mundane things, great. Uh, We both determine whether bridges are secure in the same method. But that's not really where the debate is, is it? Uh, It's over uh, religious matters, that we atheists can't adjudicate well, and we want Christians to show us how they come to those conclusions. They wouldn't do it. So I know I'm rambling on, but I, there, uh, early this week, I put up a blog post and it asked six questions. I don't remember what all six questions were. Uh, one of them was, um, how do you determine uh, if a person is demon-possessed? Uh, Just just as an example, those types of questions. And I specifically ask for Christians uh, to give their opinion. Uh, Why? Because these are things that are within the wheelhouse of Christians. It it fits with their worldview. They don't have to uh, come up with counterfactuals or anything like that. They already believe this stuff. So I just ask them things that they already believe. And then just tell me how you came to those conclusions. Another one of the questions was, uh, if a non-Christian, a non-believer is listening to uh, evangelists talk, it, you know, how, how does he know which one is truly from God and which one is a fraud? How, how does he make that determination? Once again, that, I mean, that seems like a reasonable question. It's not a trap. What I got from the Christians, uh, uh, I will say the first Christian that replied was reasons why they wouldn't answer the question. And again, that, that pissed me off quite a bit. Uh, first of all, if you don't want to answer a question, don't do it. But it, it became kind of a dog whistle for to say, no, Christians, whatever you do, stay far away from these questions. Don't answer them. It's a trap. You're going to look bad if you answer them. And I'm like, what? Why would you do that? Why can you not answer these questions? They're, they're spiritual questions inside of your wheelhouse that would show how you think. Why would why would you think that's a trap? Why can't you answer that? And I just saw throughout this whole series that that was a pattern. Even when uh, Russell and I was doing the show, uh, you will recall uh, every time I had a direct question about uh, Christian epistemology, Russell would say, "Well, I didn't come prepared for that." Okay, great, Russell. This is a show on epistemology. Um, this is a simple epistemological question. What are you? What, why? <laughs> Or uh, he would say, well, you know, that's a matter of of, um, hermeneutics. Okay, well, great, explain. Just give it to me from that perspective. I know hermeneutics pretty well. You're not gonna be talking over my head. Or, you know, it's a matter, it's always some excuse, some reason why they can't go into it. And this is the thing that I um, found uh, as a common theme in the show and in the comments um, when, when it comes time to find out the brass tacks of Christian epistemology. It's a little bit like the morality stuff. When you ask them, okay, I understand your grounding for morality. Now let's look at this issue right here. Show me how you come to the conclusion that this is immoral. And they can't do it. They won't do it. And so the same thing is uh, true with knowledge. Show me how you come to knowledge with this. At that level, they just won't do it.
1: Yeah, I think... um... Yeah, I, I I think you've you've said a lot of a lot that's right there, uh, and and some of the things that that I found frustrating as well. Um, but I I think I think I took a little bit more out of the method. I think I got more of their methodology from the most recent all Christian panel show. Um, and and the the biggest thing that I got out of it was again this idea of uh, internalism versus externalism. And you know David Paulman, I think called himself a radical internalist or something like that. And you know the other panelists. Agreed to some degree um, uh, with the idea that internalism uh, is is what's driving their decision making, uh, and and they and what the the big takeaway for that for me was this idea that they can be they can have knowledge, they can be justified all on their own, all inside their own head, and it's got nothing to do with anything out there in the world that they can point to to convince anybody else that they have this knowledge, and I think that's the real sticking point here, right? Because anything that I believed like that, that I couldn't point to the world, I couldn't point to evidence, I couldn't point to things that were replicable or or identifiable or referential, I would seriously question whether I actually knew that thing. and I would And I would want to put in the work to make sure that I actually believed it. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, what they're saying is, is I have this personal experience. I can't show it to you. I can't have you look at it. I can't have you examine it. I can't have you replicate it, but that's how I know that God exists and he wants X, Y, and Z for me. And if that's what they've got, then awesome. Off you go, congratulations. But that is of zero utility to me. And I don't understand how Christianity can be an evangelical religion. If you can't convince other people of its truth, if you tell me it's in this little shiny box inside yourself that I can't get access to, then how the heck are you going to evangelize? How are you going to convince someone uh, of of that? And and I you know and that that was something that I really found to be you know it was kind of the striking difference put you know on 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 display there, uh, and that was you know how I reacted to that part.
0: So I gotta I gotta tell you um, I have internalism uh, in my notes as number five, um, and I had the same observation uh, that you just made. Uh, you just you just made it better. Uh, than, than I would have. <laughs> um, so there's I'm, a re, there's a
1: reason I'm there's the reason I'm the garbage guy here. That's, 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 <laughs> you're,
0: you're the man. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that was a very good summation uh, of it, and I wanted to uh, just kind of go behind you there and um, loudly uh, agree with the with the whole. It's no it's no good for evangelistic purposes. So on the board uh, this week, in fact, I want to say it was yesterday. Uh, Marvin uh, put a quote up um, from somebody that probably doesn't help much. Um,
1: Francis, Francis Bacon.
0: Francis Bacon. Yes. Um, I've got it right here. Widely attributed with the formation of modern science, scientific method. Francis Bacon wrote, a little philosophy inclineth man's mind to atheism, but depth in philosophy bringeth man's mind about to religion. <laughs> to which I responded, Well, it sounds like philosophy is a pretty bad method <laughs> for evangelism, then, uh, because uh, the vast majority of people in the world who live, who will ever live, and who have ever lived, will not and cannot go into the depths of philosophy. <laughs> So if that's where you've got to go to, to make your argument, your argument's dead on arrival.
1: Yep. And and I, I find that Christians talk out of both sides of their mouth a little bit on this part because I rarely hear Christians criticize other Christians that believe Christianity for terrible reasons, right? They were just they just swallowed the pamphlet full on. They don't do any philosophy. They don't do any, uh, you know, rigorous critical thinking about it. It's just my dad told me it was true. I started going to church. Here you go, I'm a Christian. They don't bang at those guys, for you know, they're just happy that they that they're in the fold, that they're on the team, right? But they're they they will go to town on us skeptics for faulty reasoning or, or not accepting probabilistic Bayesian uh, uh, formulas and you know and not being you know close-minded or or overly naturalistic or overly scientific. Um, you know, it, it's it's a double it's it's a it's a two-way street there, right? I mean, if you're going to whack at skeptics for a reason that you don't agree with, then you gotta you gotta turn that uh, criticism onto your own people that believe Christianity because they saw a waterfall frozen in three spots, and that's why you believe the Trinity. And by the way, that's the, that's the head of the NIH that, that became to be a Christian for that reason, which you know just absolutely uh, is a textbook example of uh, of cognitive dissonance, right? Francis Collins is a genius when it comes to science but he's a Christian because of a frozen waterfall. I mean, like there it is in full display.
0: Right. And um, Matthew uh, Matthew notes that uh, Francis Bacon uh, didn't have access to uh, the same scientific understanding uh, that we have today. Uh, and that's, this is a good point because in Bacon's time, philosophy is pretty much what they had. Uh, science, what we call science is what they call the, the philosophy of nature. Uh, so- yep. You know, they they probably, in fact, envisioned philosophy in more practical terms than we envision philosophy today. Uh, m- modern science, large. I, I know that I'm going to get hate mail here. Modern science largely abrogates the need for philosophy uh, as just a mechanism for. Uh, figuring out how the world works. And, you know, maybe philosophy can, can lead us to good questions that then can be addressed by science, but it is not in and of itself the way to explore um, or at least it's not, it's not the best way to explore the nature of reality.
1: Yeah. And, and this was, this was another uh, critique they had of how, you know, how, how can science ever be better than philosophy when philosophy, you need philosophy first to even do science? And I, and I would agree, I wholeheartedly agree, you need philosophy first to do science, but then you leave the philosophy behind, right? I, I, don't, I don't ask the philosophy of the surgeon who's fixing me after a car wreck, right? He's not doing philosophy, he's doing science at that point, right? So, you know, I can't exist without my parents, but that doesn't mean that I'm not better than my parents. In any number of dimensions, I could be smarter, faster, quicker, etc. Uh, so you know, I, this idea that philosophy has to be the be all end all in science is always abrogated to philosophy. I just thought it was just a very misguided and 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 you know obviously you know not how they would go about their day, right? How much philosophy are they doing uh, when they're using their iPhone, right? Or when they're uh, availing themselves of medicine uh, or any other technology, right? I mean, it, it's Let's clear. Be clear
0: they're using an Android phone. Um, we know what they're using. It, it's a it's a two hundred dollar Android phone. Uh, stop giving them more credit than they deserve. There,
1: um, I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit phone. Wouldn't that be the one to have? I mean, that's, well, I mean, that's the iPhone
0: was already dubbed the Jesus phone a long time ago. I mean, really, can you get better? Um, come at me, bros. <laughs> this, is, this is this is a stupid place to pick a fight. Um, the uh, the <laughs> The, uh, yeah, the internalism um, thing, I, I just find it, I, I don't even want to debate it over much, because even if I agreed with the answers, if I agreed that you came up with good answers internally, it's it's, it's not transferable to me somehow. I can't come up with the same answers internally that you come up with internally, because our internal makeup is different. So, um yeah, it's, it's, it's not the same tool. So even if you happen to come up with the right answer from some internalistic mechanism, it doesn't do me any good. I simply have to take your word for it. And the, the reason we can know that that's a very unreliable method for knowing true things is all we, we can just poll uh, a thousand Christians who have uh, internally derived views and we can see how different they are. And then we can look along the religious landscape of people in other religions and they have many of the same kinds of internally derived views that are are in opposition of Christian views. We we have no way as, as someone outside of that internal process to gauge which if any of these uh, have the right answers. And so as a way of knowing true things about the universe, I, I, can't, I can't use your internal state to determine that. And my internal state simply isn't good enough to determine that. And I know it. In fact, my biggest problem with internalism is people think that it's it's sufficient for them to have uh, warranted knowledge. And I would suggest just the opposite. Your internal state is not even sufficient for you to have knowledge. Uh, your memory of what you did last week is not sufficient. You should you should question it. <laughs> you should, you, there, there are good reasons why you should question things that you think you know that can only be proven from within you.
1: A- so. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, again, because they think their senses and their thought process and things they know are coming from God, they think they have to be more perfect than they actually are, right? They're, they're not stress testing and acknowledging how flawed they are. I mean, I couldn't believe how much of a conversation on the boards there was about, about our senses, whether they're perfect or not. It, it, it was just, it was, it, it absolutely flabbergasted me. It floored that, me
0: too. That, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't. This was from Marvin. Uh, Marvin, uh, he gave some good conversation. It wasn't uh, acerbic or anything like that. I appreciate. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that, Marvin. Um, but it, the ideas were so out of left field for me. I, I was like you. I was. I. I didn't know how to think about it.
1: Right, and and I and I want to be as, as most charitable to the Christians as I can. Uh, uh, Mac Attack brought up uh, his experience of the Grand Canyon. And he was saying, I had an experience of event of the Grand Canyon and, and I felt awe, but I can't show that to you. I can't have you look at it and test it, et cetera. But I still had that experience and I still have that awe at looking at the Grand Canyon. And I would respond, of course you do, absolutely. You are the best source of information about your experience and how you reacted to it. But your awe at looking at the Grand Canyon is very poor evidence that the Grand Canyon exists at all and it's certainly not evidence that I will have that same awe looking at the Grand Canyon. And it's certainly not good evidence that it's objectively awe-inspiring to everybody in the universe. So sure, take your experience, hold it tight, and say that's yours and no one can touch it. I'm not going to fight you over that. But, but they want to take that same experience and awe about this internal inclination of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God exists and he's real and this is what he wants. And, and it's that jump that doesn't make sense to me. I think it's, it's skipping over way too many steps. And and it clearly is where we're b- butting heads because when we start asking for evidence for what they're saying is true, they don't have it. They're talking about internal states, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. If all you have are internal states, then you don't have anything to give me to convince me. So just admit that and, and we'll be fine and we can go on our way.
0: Okay, um, I almost brought in one of our uh, lurkers here, just to spice things up, because we are in a heated agreement. I want to bring in something that uh, we may not be in a heated agreement on. It's not the thing that I care about the most, but um, I like conflict. Broccoli oh, no, versus It's broccoli all the way.
2: It's, <laughs> but we're gonna go. We're, we're going if, to throw down over broccoli. Hey, hey, panel!
0: Broccoli <laughs> versus cauliflower. Just put in a B for broccoli, C for cauliflower. I, I, just just a, just real quick. Okay, that's not one of the choices. <laughs> Darren. Um so,
1: never mind. I'm so, I, think, I, I think he's going to sleep. I think I think those are Z's for sleep. So you're right. Maybe we gotta spice this up a little bit.
0: i I I forgot who the panel was. This is my this is my mm-hmm. problem. Um, so I take it back. Uh I don't care about your opinion. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even I'm not reading out any of that. <laughs> Screw you guys. Um, let's see where where was I?
1: I have uh, a I have one thing that I think you'll also violently agree on that I definitely want to make sure we get in before we start disagreeing. Okay, good. I was I was pleasantly surprised that the word faith didn't come up once in the Christian panel on epistemology. Okay, I was no, doing we
0: we do disagree
1: though. <laughs> so I was I'm doing sorry. cartwheels and clapping. I was thrilled because you know that's that is one of the biggest arguments that atheists have with Christians about is faith, a source of knowledge. And they didn't, they didn't bring that to the table at all.
0: I think Christians are being dishonest. Uh, So I know there it is. There's the bomb. There's, I just, I just called you all liars. Um, (laughs) uh, I, but you know, there's a part of their presentation where I think uh, it's the absence. It's the things that they didn't say. That's the dishonest part. Uh, for me. Right. So y- you can say, yeah, they didn't mention faith, but here's, here's the truth. Uh, see, I was going to get to this in another note. Was... <laughs> Dang it. Um, so here's, here's the thing. They do have an epistemology for spiritual things. Uh, and, they, and they know exactly what it is. And so it's it's one of these two or three things here. It's either the Bible said so, and I believe it, or the Spirit confirmed it in my heart, and so I know it. Or uh, I simply have faith that it is true, and so it is true for me. These are these are the only answers they have. These are the these are the true answers. And everything else, all of this uh, academic meandering uh, about uh, philosophy is irrelevant. Because when it comes to how they know spiritual things, religious things, those are the only three ways they can know them. They, they can't know them. Think about this for a moment. What kind of Christianity would you have if there was no Bible? The answer is none. <laughs> it is impossible to come up with modern Christianity without the help of the Bible. It's, it's simply not anywhere else. You don't get it from Josephus or Tacitus or uh, any, any of the others you want to mention. There's not enough in anything they wrote to come up with anything like a religion. You don't, you don't even come up with a resurrection with these guys. Uh, you don't get Christianity uh, without the Bible. They have to answer if they're being honest. The reason they know certain things is because it's in the Bible and they trust it. The fact that they didn't answer that way is, I think, dishonest. Because they know that the moment, on an academic stage anyway, the moment they say, well, my epistemology is, says so in the Bible, and I I have faith in it, and I feel it in my heart, they are done. They have lost the conversation. They've lost the discussion. It's over. And I think they go out of their way not to say those things, even when those are the true answers.
1: Right. I I would agree with that. But I, I think it's a little... It's a little more complex than that. I think they use the Bible circularly. They use the Bible to believe in Christianity in the first place, and then they accept Christianity as, as true, and then they use that to play this gerrymandered, let's fig- you know, all these things that don't cohere. Well, they do if you look at it this way, and oh, yeah, that was real, but it was back then. It's not for now. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't, I think it's it's kind of this never-ending circle of, you know, the Bible tells me so, so I believe it, and then I believe it. Uh, uh, and then then because the Bible tells me, so I believe it it's this, it's kind of back and forth game, but I, I want to celebrate the fact that they were not going to say that in this conversation, when we, when we asked them to be on this panel and say, what is my epistemology that they didn't say the Bible tells me so is telling it tells them what they think, uh, is going to play well in, in the general audience of listening, right? They know that that makes them look poor. With regards to you know um, scholarship on epistemology or what have you, so I actually think that's something to celebrate, not necessarily to denigrate.
0: Yeah, but you think that Ray Comfort uh, would have had any trouble saying uh, the Bible Bible says it and I believe it? <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely not. And and his <laughs> his thoughts on on things like bananas are evidence of the kind of thought process he uses, right?
3: Well, I mean, you know, he's and, not ex- now he's not I'm, the
1: Einstein of of Christianity, is he? Right? I'm pretty sure he's in the bin where he's supposed to be. Right?
0: I like the guy. I want to get him on the show. Um... I want to I want to talk to him so bad, um, not bad enough to actually write him and ask. But you know, if someone knows him, <laughs> and wants to send him an invite, he's on. Um, the kind of insight uh, that I'm getting from the chat room, um, it was created by the Broccoli family, who spawned Cubby Broccoli, the brains behind many James Bond films. Why do I, why do I have the chat open?
1: <laughs> well, now, we we did we did invite advanced broccoli studies. I, uh, so I'll give I'll give them credit for at least, you know, jumping when we for say how oh,
0: high. <laughs> I, di-
1: I didn't get that from anybody. Um, yeah, no, no, they went off on a tangent, they tangented.
0: So. You know, even even people on smartphones, doing they could have they could have put that in. No, no, they're not. Um, they're using what we say is a springboard uh, to justify their bad behavior. So um, that's that's fine. <laughs> um, I, I have you monitoring the board when they say something non broccoli non broccoli related. You can, uh, yeah,
1: that, you can let me know. That's why I've been that's why I've been quiet so far. <laughs> All right.
0: just just want the audience to know. You know, I am <laughs> uh, I am keeping an eye out, and uh, this is this is help I'm getting. Thanks, panel. Um, so can I go to number seven, um, please? It's not the thing that I'm most interested in, but I actually uh, am going to ask Darren to speak up here in a moment because I uh, this, this involves him. Uh, so it is about the question of whether it is proper to state a thing or suggest, propose a thing as the cause when you haven't established that the thing you're proposing exists. Uh, I don't know. This is a
3: good,
1: this is a good topic.
0: Yeah. um, I thought that was interesting. Um, I had some, I had some feels about that and I was, uh, I've always thought the way Darren thought about it, but I did listen to what uh, Dale had to say. And I don't know if this discussion played out on air or on, um, I think it was mostly on the board because the Christians didn't cross talk together, but, um, the Christian, they did address this on their show. And, um, I think Dale has mostly convinced me of his position. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, because, but, but with caveats. So I I do want to, I think that they are both right in their maybe talking, uh, past each other. So let me, let me explain a little bit, uh, by two examples. Uh, one is the God hypothesis that God exists and is the cause of things. The other one is the Higgs boson, um, which was interestingly enough dubbed, uh, the God particle. Um, so you got the God hypothesis and the God particle hypothesis. Um, and both things were proposed, uh, without, proof that they existed. So Higgs, um, whom the Higgs boson is named after, um, he hypothesized that this particle existed, but we didn't have proof. And at the time he hypothesized this particle existed, uh, we didn't have the means to test if there was proof. Um, we, we simply had no way of knowing. It was a, it was a hypothesis that was somewhat um useless uh, because we didn't know how to test it. And I I think if I'm not mistaken that, you know, he had proposed, you know, some ways that could, that could test it, which a a proper hypothesis would have um, would tell you how to go about testing it, even if you can't do it right now. Um, But the Higgs boson was certainly something that was proposed without it Uh, officially existing at the time without us knowing whether it existed.
2: That's not quite accurate.
0: Okay. Hang on. I'm going to get to you. I'm going to get to you. Go back to, go back to your broccoli discussions for the moment. (laughs) Uh, We're (laughs) going
3: to
1: is chomping at the bit to get in
3: here.
0: Yes. And so I'm going to, I'm going to have him in there. Um, And Dale uh, would say that, uh, wait a minute, uh, we can propose God as a proposition (laughs) Um, even if we don't know that he exists. So to the extent that we can look at the universe and say, I think I I see a cause and I think I know what that cause is, but I can't prove that that cause exists yet. That is something I think you can say. However, the difference between the God hypothesis and the God particle hypothesis is that the God particle hypothesis had a means of being falsified mm-hmm. uh, and, and it had, uh, you know, okay. if we ever reached the technological ability to do it, we could study it. We, we could um, see if it was true. And by the way, before it was deemed true, we didn't have to consider it at all. It, it was nonsense until it could be proven. So there was no necessity in physics to to think of it as true uh and there were ways to determine if it was true and falsifiable predictions uh that were that were made with it with the god hypothesis however none of that's the case we are uh forced to um assume that it is true uh and act on it because there there are dire consequences if you don't and there is no way to falsify it there is no way under you know no matter how long we live there's no experimentation that will allow us to say, and uh, this is how you will uh, recognize yeah. God or this would prove that God doesn't exist. So I, I see those as kind of the differences. So I, I wanted to just give Dale a little bit of leeway in uh, trying to trying to be generous in understanding what he was saying, but I still think okay. it's, it's wrong overall. So with that, uh, Darren, I wanted to bring you in and see if you wanted to clarify uh, that a little.
2: Yeah, the problem with that analogy is that it's not actually correct uh for one if we're talking about a scientific hypothesis god does not meet that criteria so we're not talking about two different hypotheses we're talking about an idea the god idea and then we're talking about the higgs hypothesis and the higgs hypothesis came about because Mm -hmm. that's what the math uh, drove us to um the math was determined by other things that we could de- determine was actually true and then when you um, parsed it out it produced the higgs and by the time they built the several billion dollar machine to test it out um they were already like 95 percent sure that it existed because it made so many successful predictions and answered so many other uh, questions that we we could test to see if it was true. So the actual testing was more of a formality than anything else. Um, And that's the difference. Um, Um, However,
0: it would have been a problem had it not showed up.
2: Oh yeah, it would have been a huge problem Mm -hmm. and the entire scientific community would have been a static because that means that they could uh, Mm -hmm. figure out what was actually going on with that.
0: Okay, uh, so thank you. thank you for that input, Darren. You can go back on mute now because I'm not on Zoom and I can't actually hit the button. Um, Brian, what did uh, what did you think uh, about about that uh, that whole discussion uh, with whether or not you can propose something as a uh, as a cause that uh, you you haven't proven that it exists?
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I thought there were kernels kernels of truth to the criticism that they were lobbying, but I think ultimately Darren uh, hit the nail on the head there, right? I mean, it doesn't move past hypothesis until you actually produce it, right? I mean, right. It, can, it can be a hypothesis until it's ruled out. Well, so and it's, it's that... also
0: not a hypothesis, as Darren pointed out, which is kind of what I was getting at too. The God hypothesis is not really a hypothesis, it's an idea, but it's the, the Christians are misunderstanding what scientists mean by hypothesis if they if they call it a hypothesis. It doesn't actually meet the standard of hypothesis, whereas the Higgs did. Uh, so I, I do want to acknowledge
1: that as well. Right. But if if God doesn't exist then God isn't the successful hypothesis to anything, right? Things that don't exist don't do anything. So great, you've got a hypothesis because you, because it usually stems from an argument Mr. or an ignorance, right? Nothing we have available to us as explanations now suits the bill to explain this thing. Therefore, I have to hypothesize something that's not established to exist as an explanation for whatever it is you're trying to explain. But you've then got to chase that with, okay, now produce the thing. And if you can never get to producing the thing, then yes, I would say that hypothesis fails. So yeah, I had no problem with using a hypothesis as a placeholder in the same way as, as the Higgs boson. I think dark matter is another thing that, that um, or dark energy, one of those uh, right. astronomy uh, topics uh, fits that same bill. Things didn't make sense unless you added this thing in and then they added the thing, but then they went and found it, right? They, they, they did experimentation and other things to find the thing. So I, have, I, have, I, I will be charitable and say, I have no problem with you using God as a hypothesis. But if you can actually produce God as an existent thing, then that goes into the bin of other failed hypotheses. So bring, you know, bring, bring the thing and I'm happy to, to, to uh, let it elevate from hypothesis to the next stage.
0: Yeah, and you're being more charitable than me because I, I can't call it a hypothesis proper uh, if it is not a falsifiable thing. Uh, that can be proven one way or the other, and if there is no path uh, by the one making the hypothesis to show how it can be proven or disproven, uh, these are important elements. Uh, yeah, I would agree, and, and it keeps it keeps our science endeavors honest, and it keeps us from putting things on the table like, you know, ghosts did it. When we ask, well, what's making that funny noise in the ba- basement? Uh, there is no ghost hypothesis, right? There's, there's a, it, and it doesn't matter how many millions of people believe in ghosts. Scientifically speaking, there is nor can there be a ghost hypothesis. Um, and so you can, you can think, well, maybe ghost did it, but that's that's misusing uh, hypothesis as a methodology term that, that has a specific meaning.
1: Right, and and I think I think the reason it happens is because they're hyper-focused on the, like the, the telos, right? The, the goal, the, the direct targeting. So, so one, one example I can give is, you know I, I have a, a broken cookie jar in my kitchen and I have two potential hypotheses for what happened. One is the toddler knocked it over. And the other is the most stealthy human being in the world whose sole goal in life is to knock over cookie jars Is the one that knocked it over, and they would think that the latter is much more has much more explanatory power because it's so. Oh my God, this—that's what this thing wants to do at all times—is knock over cookie jars. So of course, that's a better explanation than the clumsy toddler who may or may not even have been trying to get a cookie. You could have just been bumping into the table, right? So that to me is where okay, great. Those are two hypotheses, but now I can produce the toddler and produce them bumping into things and breaking things. But where the heck is this super stealthy human being ever been? Can you show me him doing this somewhere else? Can you show me even having access to my house right now? Once you can't answer those questions and can't provide evidence to those effects, the toddler to me is clearly the more explanatory option. Okay, but if
0: you, can't, if you can't uh, disprove the super stealthy human, then you should at least be agnostic on the subject. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and with that uh no i'm not i'm not gonna allow any responses to that <laughs> that's gonna stand uh, i will let it
1: sit <laughs> uh we do who we know who we're referring to uh, <laughs> we love you my I, friend i am a blank slate <laughs> on the super stealthy it's, human it's 50 50.
0: um 50/50. andrew uh is out there and i don't know if andrew you're in the middle of an interval or not but i would like you to Get ready to chime in on uh, something about mechanisms, because we were talking a little bit before the show, and Andrew um, uh, had some, uh, I won't say issues, but things to say, uh, things that he wanted me to say uh, about the part where he was talking about uh, where mechanism was discussed. And since Andrew is around, I'm going to let him say it, uh, but he can say it after this next topic, uh, which is, uh, yeah, they provide no answer when asked what tools or methods they recommend that they don't consider to be science. Now, here's what I'm going to do for the sake of time. I'm going to combine this with some other things. I'm just going to do some reading, which is going to sound like stream of consciousness, but this is really combining two, three, and four for me. So um, it it was pretty important on my Uh, on my um, energy uh, list. Uh, Christians acknowledge naturalistic tools, such as the senses for observation, but they insist science is not enough to form a complete picture. They claim modern science was invented by Christians, yet they throw shade at anyone who relies on it. (laughs) Uh, And then that thought ended with, they provide no answer when asked what tools or methods they recommend that they don't consider to be science. Uh, and so this is, this is kind of a progression of thought I have. And by the time I get to the last part of it, I just have to say the Christians are talking bullshit. Uh, because um, if you can't tell me, if, if you're saying that my reliance on science alone or my, uh, uh, my idea that science is, uh, has preeminence as as evidence over other kinds of evidence and you you think that scientism uh, even weak scientism and you think that scientism is bad great I got all that but you're not willing or able to tell me what method you use that that you do not consider science if if you are using all of the methods that i'm using you and, and you're accusing me of scientism what are you um, so there must be some other methods you have, and yet no matter how many times I ask Christians this, uh, either uh, live on shows or on the boards, I get crickets. Uh, they cannot tell me what method or tools they are using that I wouldn't consider science. And here's the thing. I would consider a lot of things science. I have a very broad view of science. I just think of it, generically speaking, generically even, as methodology. It's it's methodology, and we can talk about whether your method is good or not. But if it's methodology, it should be something that other people can use to uh, to reach to reach similar uh, conclusions, or at least to double check your conclusions. Um, so, what methodology are you using that you think is not science? And my only conclusion is either you don't have another methodology, you just are you just want to throw shade on science for some reason, or you do have another methodology and you just don't want to talk about it out loud because it'll make you, uh, it'll make you look non-academic. So this is, this is troubling to me And just this back and forth, this whiplash back and forth of, oh no, science is good. It's perfectly uh, compatible with Christianity. You wouldn't even have science without Christians. We invented science. What are you, some kind of uh, scientistic person? You know, on the other hand, I can't keep up uh what are we what are we talking about so anyway that's that's um uh, my energy spent there
1: <laughs> that was that was well done you, you were wound up on that one that was good
0: you, you got you got nothing you're not gonna comment
1: uh you, no you, no i, I yeah not pass yeah. <laughs> should, should yeah, I, I bring on broccoli man uh what <laughs> if if he's ready to, to bring the broccoli uh the broccoli effort then yeah sure but otherwise yeah no i think the the last part that you just said is, is the exact right part, right? Is this, this talking out of two sides of our mouth where science is great, but oh no, don't be a scientist, a scientismist or, or whatever that is, right? Sci- science isn't special, right? Science was developed by humans over the long period of time. It's just the best method we have of separating the wheat from the chaff, from finding, finding things that are real and things that aren't. And it's, it, it, it's not perfect. It's, it's done by imperfect humans. So it's never going to come up with the total right answers at all times, but it also has self-correcting mechanisms and it's, and it's open to peer review. It's not, you know, something to be put on a pedestal in a glass case and never to be touched again. So, um, you know, I, I, I think this idea that science is something that you need to put a big circle around and, 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 you know, and, and point shade at, you know, to me, scientific principles are something we should be using in every, in every uh, part of our life. I, I think it's, it's a tried and true way of getting to the bottom of things. And, you know, I think there's a, a lot of times equivocation on the current body of knowledge that science has provided and the method, and that causes some of the confusion. Um, but, you know, one thing that I would, I would say um, about science in this respect is, I think, I think they, they um, equate it with uh, like these other isms, right? The naturalism the physicalism the materialism right and they think we're being dogmatic and we are some other ism they're the christianism and we're the other isms and we're you know we're both you know in our own little separate camps right but I, what i don't understand is how do you determine the difference between something that's natural but we haven't found it yet or figured it out yet and something that's supernatural And I think they would claim that there are these supernatural things that science can't touch. And I would just say, how do you delineate those things from things that are naturalistic, but we just haven't figured it out or found them yet. And I think that's an argument from ignorance problem. And I think that that, that's a lot of gets to the, to the bottom of things there.
0: So you uh, you're much better at issue spotting than I am. I can, I can see that. Um, I just, (laughs) I just rant and talk loud. And then you say something that makes sense. So I'm going to take a, um, I'm gonna take a small break is what I'm gonna do. Um, hey, broccoli man, uh, I'm looking at you, uh, the Brit actually, not you yet, Andrew. Um, uh, broccoli guy, you want you, uh, you have anything uh, that you wanna to add to this? Uh, feel free to turn on your mic. Shall
4: so we try? There we go. You can hear me now. I don't know why you want my input on this. You guys are doing so well on your own. I, I'm just quite happily causing trouble in the um, in, in the back room
1: you're, ju- you're just here you're just here for your dulcet tones of voice Matthew so just lay it on oh, Mo- mostly right.
0: you're here so that I can take a break <laughs> and go get some water <laughs> <laughs> right to you. um, it,
4: it's, it's you've called me in when I wasn't expecting to call in I was just uh, happy listening to you guys do it there's nothing controversial that you guys have said i'm pretty much on board with uh, the things that that you have said the uh uh the the existence thing i think was uh something that i picked up uh, during the the christians episode you know i it's perfectly valid i think to ask the question if 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 something is being posited as the cause of of other things i think it's perfectly valid to to ask for what is the evidence for that thing before you start talking about the 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 process in identifying the causes so I think that's the one thing I, I just wanted to validate that I agree with you guys on that and um, I guess the only other thing that I wanted to uh, to pick up which, which hasn't been mentioned and it's a sort of a personal thing but um I it, it's um I'm trying to think of the best way to to say this uh, because I got I I felt like I got a little bit personally criticised on on The Christian Show and I I guess my entire Christian life must have had a fault in it because I had the audacity to be a 20-year-old male Christian and uh, seek uh, advice on something I was uncertain about about from a woman. I mean, how dare I be a a 20-year-old Christian male and not be a misogynistic prick as well? So I guess that was one thing that I wanted to, to just flag up on, on that. But there's nothing much more to say about that, really.
1: Yeah, yeah Matthew, I, I remember I, was, I listened to the show in, in total yesterday, that, that show. Uh, and I, I, didn't, I didn't like it for, the, for similar reasons. You know, trying to be as charitable as possible, I really think they were trying to get at the fact that you held up your mother as you know, some sort of Christian authority when you maybe gave her too much credit. And, and you know I, I guess I can, I, can, I, I, can, I can agree with that on some level, but that, that that also cuts a lot of different ways, right? So then isn't every human similarly non-authoritative in these ways? So yeah it, yes, that's true.
4: and uh, the, the problem with that is there is a, an, um, a knowledge gap there. so the assumption was made that my mother had absolutely no, no, nothing of value to say on the matter whatsoever. <laughs> the fact is my mother did have something of value to say on the matter, not only does she know me and know my experiences and knew the backstory to the emotional trauma that led up to that event, she also had some experience in in the demonic and she also had contacts to people because of where she worked and where her husband worked, Two people who also had experience on the matter. So there was an, an assumption of missing knowledge, which I am now correcting. And instead of asking the question of why that person? The assumption was made that she was completely the inappropriate person, but she was the appropriate person.
1: Yeah, definitely, I agree. I'm glad you.
4: I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's an important point. So, so I am. It was the mis- it was the blatant misogyny bit which I wanted to pick out
0: on. So I'm I'm back, and I appreciate you stepping in uh, there, Matt. I uh, I did see uh, your note earlier. Uh, in the chat, which is uh, why I wanted to uh, bring you in. I, I thought that you might wanna talk about that and whether or not they meant it in a misogynistic way, uh, because so I, can, I can see where they could say, well, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking in terms of misogyny. I would have, uh, you know, when I was a Christian, I would have possibly said uh, something similar to that, but it is a kind of misogynistic thing. And, and it's one of these things that Christians are just not aware of. Uh, they, don't, they don't hear themselves. Uh, because they're used to speaking uh, in echo chambers, uh, you know, on Sunday mornings and <laughs> things like that. And so they don't get, uh, they don't get a lot of these things uh, challenged. Uh, so uh, I, I did want to ha- give you a chance to at least express how that uh, came across. I also find it interesting that they would question your epistemological methodology of determining whether a thing is a demon they would question that but they don't question like when justin brierly says oh i was 15 in a youth camp meeting and things got really emotional and i turned to jesus um that's that seems to be okay (laughs) somehow
4: well that's a really good point because let's say i was still a christian and i told exactly that same story but the ending being that I still believe that it was a demonic attack. What would the Christians have said then?
0: Right. It, they would have said, yeah, right on, brother. <laughs> Way wait, to wait, wait, fight those demons. Um, look, I, I appreciate it. And I'm going to uh, let you go back on mute. And I'm going to bring in Andrew uh, right now, because uh, once again, I, he he had a particular thing that he wanted me to express. And I think that he will express his own uh, thought better. So Andrew, you've had plenty of time to finish your interval. Um, I am going to unmute your mic on your behalf. You may begin speaking now.
3: Okay, so uh, first of all, you guys are hung on uh, broccoli and cauliflower and I think I need to recommend peaches too.
0: Okay, Okay. I'm muting your mic again. (laughs) Let me close the button. (laughs)
3: Next time you're at the farmers market, peaches. That's for two uh, Look, first of all, uh, I defended in each case that I was on mic uh, with you over the last couple of weeks. I defended externalism as our best path to knowledge, and the reason I defended externalism is because one of its tenets is something that, if you read the literature, the philosophical literature you'll find that one of the tenets of externalism is process reliability. Brian was uh, talking about this a little earlier. Um, what, we, what we want to know when we, when we settle on a belief is whether our knowledge is reliable. Now, I'm, I'm, Brian, if you don't mind, I want to uh, sort of swap some thoughts with you about the Grand Canyon. Because, oh, lay it on me, lay it on me. Well, I, I think I disagree with you about, uh, about your conclusion regarding the Grand Canyon and it inspiring all. So the parallel to the Grand Canyon, the reason that example kept getting used is because it was compared to uh, some experience with the Holy Spirit. Now, we wouldn't expect necessarily everyone to have Uh, the same experience of the Grand Canyon. So in that sense, you and I agree, right? Um, Someone that grows up uh, around Grand Canyon State Park will have a very different response to seeing the Grand Canyon, probably, than someone who sees it for the first time. So I'm not questioning that part. But in the sense that you can compare the Grand Canyon to the Holy Spirit, I would absolutely expect everyone to report a similar experience with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not an inanimate object. The Holy Spirit is supposedly this supernatural being that is capable of interacting with you in a way that some inanimate scene like the Grand Canyon is not capable of interacting with you. And I think, I think that that is actually part and parcel of what we see in the new testament when the when the holy spirit comes on people uh, they can even be seen to to maybe be drunk the holy spirit is is so strong the holy spirit is not just a a passive thing you observe the holy spirit can actually get in your head and change your thoughts and motivate your actions in a way uh, that the grand canyon can't and so my problem with comparison that the Holy Spirit, uh, unlike the Grand Canyon, is an active agent in this supposed interaction with human beings, and so when a Christian says, "You know, you read these books, or you pray this prayer, or you you get sprinkled with this water, or or whatever it takes to lead you to the Holy Spirit," uh, even if I didn't accept that I could that I should follow the Holy Spirit, I would expect. I would expect some amount of all, because this is, in fact, a supernatural being who is capable of motivating my thoughts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I can, I can get behind what you're saying there. The only, reason, the only reason I wouldn't feel the need to go that way is because all that's doing is inviting them to proffer theodicy as a response. And a theodicy is not something that I can rebut because it's all headcanon. It's, you know, oh, well, you know, some people need a heavy hand, some people need a light hand, some people need one uh, one approach, some people need a lifetime of approach, and, and it, you, there's no way to rebut that. So uh, the way I wanted to talk about that was is, is Max's feelings about the Grand Canyon are completely separate from the existence of the Grand Canyon. And if I wanted to know if the Grand Canyon exists, I would not consult Max's mind or his awe. I would consult a map and a rental car company, and I would drive to the Grand Canyon.
3: So if you recall, that was actually my complaint through the whole thing, is that uh, it doesn't seem that the Holy Spirit is equally accessible uh, to, uh, well, as far as I can tell, it's not equally accessible even to Christians um, because there are various reports about Holy Spirit interaction. So to that extent, we agree, but I don't think, um, I don't think that uh, I'm inviting theodicy uh, in my in my reply there because uh, the founding problem is process reliability. We can't hire a rental car, pick up a GPS, and go to that place. Now, if we could, I think then the the further complaint was that the Holy Spirit, unlike the Grand Canyon, should be capable of inspiring the thing that the Bible says that it can inspire. But I can't can't get to that place to begin with. So that brings me to the thing that that, uh, David and I talked about in the run-up to you guys doing the show. And that has to do with the mechanism of interaction between the supernatural and the natural. Uh, I asked Dale about it during the uh, during the Christian show. Uh, I see a lot of I see a lot of Christians talk about God's motives and the opportunities where God gets to interact with us in the world. But what I don't see, and what I said um, in the atheist uh, part of the epistemology show. Was that Christians rarely want to talk about the mechanism of interaction between the natural and the supernatural? So I appreciated Dale taking a moment to address that in the Christian response, but I found his I, I found his response underwhelming. Um, so Dale essentially said that there are these immediate actions that God can take. And they might be, they might be very small. Uh, so we might think of something like pouring a glass of water at something small, or boiling water for a cup of tea. I don't, I don't exactly know what they all meant by immediate or small in that context. But I will say that I have been unable to think of an example of some, inter, uh, some intervention by a guy that is small enough that it doesn't require explanation. That just because it's small, we wouldn't seek uh, the method by which this small intervention was done. And so I don't think immediate actions or small interventions is a particularly helpful addition to the conversation about challenging the interaction between the natural and the supernatural uh, from a a mechanism standpoint. So uh, the method of interaction, no matter how small the item is, I think requires an explanation. And uh, so I remain unsatisfied from an externalist perspective. About how supernatural intervention, no matter how small, would take place. Dave, I think that wraps up my uh, uh, my thoughts on the issue. Unless yeah. you
0: have no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, put you back on mute. And uh, thank you for sharing that.
1: Yes, thank you, Andrew. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah i I did want to add. One thing about the mechanism thing though, and I'm glad Andrew uh, brought that up. I wanted to bring him in to uh, really lay that out uh, better than I felt like I could when, uh, and this is, this is true largely with regards to conversations about miracles. Um, A, a a natural thing is something that has mechanisms (laughs) attached to it. So, um, You know, a person rose from the ground into uh, into the air, uh, fifty feet off the ground. Um, The thing that makes that natural is that we can we can explain the mechanism. Yeah, he was attached to a helium balloon, you know, so that uh, that brought him off the ground, or he had uh, some uh, very thin wires attached to them uh, that was being pulled by a crane that was uh, you know far away in the distance. So um, there there is a mechanism. To that, so we don't we don't call it a miracle. And when people, when magicians try to do these stunts and uh, try to pass them off as magic, uh, we have our our smartphones now are so good. You know, the cameras, even the cheap ones, are so good. We can see the wires that you can't see with the naked eye, um, and so uh, we can see the, the mechanism. And we can say, wait a minute, that's not magic. <laughs> that's, that's nature, all right? And you're, you're trying to trick me. Uh, the best that you can say for the Christian miracle is not that there's no mechanism to something that some phenomena they've observed. The best they can say is they don't understand the mechanism. In which case, they should just answer, I don't know how that happened. But they don't make the, they don't say, I don't know how that happened. They make the leap of saying, oh, there is no naturalistic method, uh, mechanism, and it's just God doing a miracle. And I would, this is, I think, where a lot of uh, skeptics just leave the conversation, whether they, whether they stop talking or not uh, is irrelevant. They actually leave the conversation at this point, because what we hear when the Christian says that is, well, I just don't understand the mechanism. And what, what I want to say to that is you should just leave it at that. You know, there's, there's this phenomenon. You can't explain. You don't understand the mechanism. Got it. Because there are a lot of things where I don't understand the mechanism that, uh, that are still natural because there is some mechanism that I just don't understand. And I'm fine with that. And there's no reason for me to make the leap of, well, what if it's something without a mechanism? because then you would have to show me that it's possible for something to happen without a mechanism. Um, so, uh, you know, Einstein had a problem with uh, entanglement. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Spooky action from a distance. Um, and I still don't know that our explanations of entanglement are particularly satisfying, but there's no science in the world, not even Christian ones who are saying, well, it's magic. So um, anyway, that's, that's what I had to add on the uh, discussion about mechanism. And um, thanks for allowing me to uh, use that as a springboard. Brian, let's wrap it up. Uh, you've got uh, some more stuff on your notes, I know. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is take uh, all the things on your notes that, uh, that didn't make the cut up to this point, uh, put it together in closing statement, uh, wrapped around the things that you care about, uh, and then I will do the same, or would you like a little bit of time, uh,
1: and have the last words up to you? Let's see. No, I can, I can, I can go, I can, okay. I can, I can wrap this up. Yeah. So I think, I mean, we hit, we hit most of my big points. Um, so I'm not feeling like there's a lot left that I have to get in. The, the one, one topic, uh, that will be a nice wrap up topic is this idea of epistemic humility. It was only brought up once in the Christian panel show. I think it was by Kevin, who, by the way, I need to hear more from Kevin. I, I found him to be uh, someone that I think we could have a longer conversation with. I think he was willing to meet skeptics more halfway. I feel like he's got some skeptical inclinations himself. It would I would be really curious to know more about where, because I think he used to be a pastor, but he's not anymore. So I'm curious how he got to where he is and kind of learning more uh, specifically about where he sits now, uh, and obviously not to impugn the rest of the Christians, I just, I just, he's someone that I haven't had a lot of experience listening to. So I'd I'm certainly also like a to big fan more. of his, so I, yeah, I, yeah. I like him a lot. I want to talk to him more. Yeah, but, uh, but, but this, this idea, the idea of epistemic humility, knowing our limitations, knowing what we know and don't know, knowing what we have good evidence for and not, and not be in such a rush to form a conclusion that you can put in concrete and defend against all enemies. I am happy to sit in a place of agnosticism or, or just not making a decision, right? But, but a lot of times that decision is cast as, well, you know, even if you haven't made a choice, you've made a choice, right? Well, sure, on one level, of course. But at the same time, you know, I am happy to live in the I don't know world until I think I get uh, enough uh, more evidence and argument that's going to move me in a direction. And once I'm moved in that direction, I don't feel the need to go knee deep and be in 100% on board with a new idea I'm happy to hold it you know, as, as more likely than not or any other degree. Uh, and, and we should be comfortable living in these spots because that's gonna keep us open-minded to conflicting evidence that might make us change our mind and move in another direction. So you know, as a human who is flawed, who is not perfect, who doesn't know everything, who doesn't think critically perfectly all the time, I need to know that it's okay to wait on the sidelines, gather more information, gather more evidence before jumping to conclusions. And that doesn't mean I can't provisionally have conclusions, You know, there are things that I believe now that I'm open to getting conflicting evidence for in the future that I would change my mind. But I'm happy to say I believe it now and I'm gonna act on that information. Uh, but I, I, I just wanna um, point out how getting too conclusively in, into a place without proper justification I think that's what causes a lot of the problems. And I think that's what causes a lot of the issues between believers and non-believers. I mean, I, I think Dale says something to the effect of he has 100% knowledge of that God is real or something like that. I forget exactly what it is he assigns 100% knowledge to, but it's just like, there's nothing you can do with that information, right? Like if, if he says he has 100% knowledge, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but I can't know that. I can't access that. So, so that, that is completely meaningless to me. And it doesn't give me anything that I can work on for he and I to get into a, a you know, into a same place where we can be on the same page. So, you know, I, I would just argue that, you know, what we're trying to do here is do the best we can, moving through life, gathering information, making the best decisions, forming the best beliefs. And we should be, um, you know, cognizant of the fact that we're, we're not perfect and we should be, uh, we should be open to being corrected.
0: So that is an excellent um, last word. I actually had one on my list um, that uh, that we didn't get to, but I, I, I love this idea of um, epistemic uh, humility. And if you'll allow me to pile on, um, for a moment, in fact, I'm not entirely sure how you would stop me from doing it. Now that I say it, but um...
1: I have I have very little power over here except <laughs> to just yammer on about broccoli. So. You, c- you could you <laughs> could file an objection. I'm, I'm, you, know, you could you could log it in the chat. <laughs> so... I will I will file an amicus brief with the with the forum boards. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I you know it's
0: it's funny how. When you just stop and think of the little things that you say, just as a part of language, uh, yeah. how useless most of it is. <laughs> so, if if you have no objections, uh, I, I will note that there were no objections, Your Honor. Um, Wait, I'm muted. I'm muted. I'm trying to object. You won't well, let me.
3: Object.
0: By by unanimous decree, I will pal on um, <laughs> the um it um it, some things take hundreds of years to come to a satisfactory conclusion. Uh, Knowledge is not fast. Knowledge is very slow. And I think that we get confused because some knowledge is fast. You know, the the moment you put your hand on a hot stove, you gain instant, repeatable, uh, actionable knowledge at, at that moment. And so you might be uh, mistaken uh, when you you think that, well, all knowledge must be like that. And if you don't get an answer right away, there must be something wrong with you. And so you rush to get an answer. But no, that's one type of knowledge that's very fast. But other types of knowledge, very slow, takes a long time and a lot of digging. And in your lifetime, you may only get fragments. And so, uh, you know, think about the first human that ever got sick and wondered, wondered what happened. Think about how long that was until we came up with the germ theory of disease. Hundreds, maybe thousands of years between those times. That no one between that time was really justified in saying, well, you know, it's a demon because this is just a a quick way of coming to a conclusion to to satisfy that hole in your spirit that is uncomfortable with, I don't know. Um, And and seldom are those fast answers uh, justified. Uh, And so I I find that Christians are guilty of this a lot. Uh, They fill in their gaps as quickly as possible. Uh, with the God parts that uh, suit them best. And they are not, in fact, comfortable with saying, you know what, we might have to wait another couple hundred years for that. And I think that's one of the big difference between skeptics and Christians is we are willing to say, yeah, it might take a couple hundred years for that because I don't know right now. Uh, and we don't have the technology to prove it right now. Uh, so maybe we'll just do a wait and see. And they accuse us when we say that of, Uh, being biased against the religious answer because you've got this religious answer here. um, And, and you're passing on that. Well, I'm passing on it one because it's too quick and easy an answer. Uh, I I have seen your evidence. I'm not uh, ultimately convinced by it and I'm not convinced that any answer we come up with right now uh, is going to be sufficient. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm much more comfortable with a, uh, wait and see, I'm probably never going to know this in my lifetime, uh, than Christians are willing to do. Because if they were to say that about things, it would mean that they, that they would have to wait before passing judgment on their God hypothesis too. Uh, and they don't want to wait for that. They want to say, no, we have sufficient evidence right now. Uh, and, and you must, uh, come with us, uh, and accept our evidence. Uh, on that, uh, I would also just mention the show that I did with, um, Lydia uh, McGrew yesterday uh, I I love talking to Lydia. Uh, one might think that I wouldn't, but I do. Uh, you know she she uh, she's a, an interesting person. Uh, she can come off as a little bit abrasive uh, but I think it's because she and Jonathan McClatchy and I'm gonna throw in our very own Dale here have a, a certain characteristic that I find a little bit distasteful and I have to kind of look past it to have good conversations with him. Um, And I think that Dale, uh, to be fair, is probably the lesser of the offender of what I'm about to say. But Lydia in particular, she has this idea, Lydia and Jonathan, have this idea that they have the facts about the resurrection and the only charity they are willing to give anyone who does not agree with them on the resurrection is, well, you just don't know enough. You don't know what I know. And if you knew everything I know, then it would be irrational for you to come to a different conclusion. And so there's only one or two options for them. One of two options. Either you do know what I know and you are irrational or you disagree with me because you're ignorant. Those are, And that's that's the only path for them. There is no, I know what you know, but I interpret the data differently. Uh, and I specifically asked Lydia uh, about this and she was very specific with her answer. You can listen to the show. It's own Skeptics and Seekers right now in the comment section uh, where where this show is. You, you'll be able to find it. Um, you can just click on it and listen to it. Go to the end because that's where, uh, toward the end because that's where she made her comments. That's where I asked her. Uh, this question. And so I find that epistemologically speaking, that's, that's true of a lot of Christians, especially the uh, ones that are more academically inclined. They believe that they have reached a mountaintop peak of information where truth lies. And the only way for you to know truth is to join them on the mountaintop, uh, or you must simply uh, be quiet uh, and in, in remain agnostic because you don't know enough. You haven't read enough. You haven't studied enough. Uh, and the only way for you to have opinion is to know uh, everything that they know. And then when you do, the only opinion you can have is the one that they've come up with. Uh, I find that just very interesting. One of the things that I found telling in that show, um, very near that conversation, was uh lydia's response about the shroud uh because i had asked her uh about that and she she obviously didn't know dale's uh, opinion on the shroud uh but she she has a very different conclusion <laughs> than dale um and you know she's very opinionated about uh the fact that you should know um will either know what she knows, or if you know it, believe what she believes. And I think that when, when that is your foundation, when that is your core, when that is your starting point, I think that it is for a lot of Christians, because for it not to be, they would have to acknowledge that atheists are rational in their disbelief. And I don't care um, how liberal they are, they don't want to acknowledge that. Because if we are rational in our disbeliefs, uh, then there, there there is no grounds to um, condemn us. So the only way we can be truly condemned is if we really do know the truth and we really reject it. And to know what they know is to know the truth. And there is no wavering opinion uh, from that that is that is rational. So uh, this is, I think, something that undergirds the epistemology of a lot of Christians. And it is one of those places that once you uncover it, you realize you have reached an unbreachable gulf. There is, there's no reasoning. You can't reason with Lydia about her uh, beliefs on John and the resurrection and many of the things that she has studied and believes. There's no reasoning with her. She will not debate. Uh, the, the nature of the show, we, we could only uh, ask very limited questions. You know, She had to approve of the questions, that sort of thing. There's no Because there is no debate for her. She, there is information and she will impart it and uh, she will clear up some of your confusion. But that's it. Once you have uncovered that bedrock to their epistemology, you can stop talking. And and you can also stop listening because there is simply no place to go from there that is useful. And so, Christians, I implore you. First of all, if that's if that's really how you feel, just say it up front and we can in the charade of having a conversation because I have nothing else to say to you, honestly. And I don't care what you have to say. Uh, If if what you believe is that there can be no reasonable disagreement to what you say, uh, provided that I know what you know. Um, And secondly, if that's not what you believe, then let's try to have a more charitable conversation on both sides uh, and recognize that there may be other views that are rational besides the one you hold right now. Uh, that that is uh, offered for both Christians and atheists because that's the only path forward uh, as I see it. Uh, like I said, if you, if you think the other way and you think that the opposition is being in, uh, irrational because they don't agree with you uh, despite the fact that they know what you know, then we're done. We're just done. And I, I have no interest from this point over in having conversations uh, that, that start with that um, philosophical bedrock. So that's uh, that's me. Uh, it's been a good series. Uh, it's been a good wrap-up. Uh, and I'm just going to uh, jump in and pick uh, very briefly uh, um, the man that I really like to hear from a lot uh, on these shows. Matt, uh, Matthew, are you still there? Do you have one quick thing that's two minutes or less that you can also say that will help wrap this up and make sense of things I, I i appreciate um the thought that i know that you put into this stuff
4: um thank you for that david um my my thought i tell you what i liked about uh, the last minute show that we put together was you grilled us and you you quizzed us and i know we joked around about whether ants have a have a uh, can be embarrassed by 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 their shoes or something ridiculous like that but we um you did grill us and you did push us and you you did ask questions about how we get to the conclusions that we get to and there was an epistemol, epistemological joust so to speak on there and, and i like that and i appreciate it and on balance, I'm disappointed by the whole series. I know you and Brian have already gone over this, but I didn't see the same for, from the, the Christians in, in the conversations. So that that was, so I feel let down a little bit from, from parts of this series. So may, maybe we can find a way to, to do it again and uh, redress that and I'll certainly be happy to be involved and somehow work out how we could have have a conversation with Christians to pull that kind of thing out. So that's really my, my takeaway. I feel uh, um, a dissatisfaction and, and a hunger that's not being properly satiated from this. Okay,
0: and um, I'm gonna let that be uh, the final word. I would like to tell you what next, week, uh, next week's show is going to be, but honestly, I have no idea. Uh, I have no, I don't even know if there will be a next week's show. I know I put something out there every week <laughs> and so I'll come up with something, but I have no idea what it is. I haven't talked to uh, Russell um, yet. And it could be that um, uh, we end up doing something fun and completely off uh, topic <laughs> because after these deep dives into uh, heavy philosophy and theology, I, I like to take a little bit of a break and I feel like um I I might need a breather after the epistemology series. So um, if you've got any suggestions of uh, some fun thing that uh, you would like to hear us bat around, um, shoot shoot me um, a a suggestion. You can uh, drop a comment in the um, comment section, just log in to discuss and uh, go to skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. You can send me an email directly. It is skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. I answer every email that I get. And um, I know that I've got a, I've got a podcast with someone coming up on, on Dell's show and it's either next week or the week after that. Uh, And it's also on the subject of epistemology. And so if it's next week uh, I'll probably uh, just post that, but Also, I I could use a break and uh, do something a little bit on the fun side after this. So uh, please leave your comments and uh, questions and suggestions. Um, Thank you very much for listening and we will see
3: you next time.